Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 5 of the Canny Conversations podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. This week, Safras is in conversation with Viran Patel, CEO of the Open University Worldwide and the Director of Apprenticeships and Partnerships at the OU. In the first half of this two-part conversation, Viran shares his personal journey as a refugee who came to the UK in the 1970s and overcame the challenges to become the first in his family to graduate with a degree. He discusses the mission of the Open University to increase access to higher education and skills training through innovative delivery methods. He also talks about the OU's focus on vocational learning and the partnerships to equip students for evolving employer needs. He shares perspectives on building an inclusive culture internally and externally through community initiatives and talks about the OU's role as a major employer driving economic growth in Milton Keynes. Viran offers advice for young people on developing transferable skills and embracing diverse experiences to thrive in modern careers. So let's go over to Saf and Viran. Viran, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and see you here at Milton Keynes. Fantastic building, fantastic offices. And obviously we've been communicating and you've been supporting us with the Multicultural mm-hmm. Apprenticeship Alliance. And really thank you for your support with the Alliance. Thank you for the support that you do with the whole social mobility agenda and diversity as a whole. You're a thought leader within this arena. And thank you for the invitation today and really appreciate allowing us, allowing us to have a conversation with you. Saf, it's a real pleasure to have you and the team here. It's, uh, it's good to meet like-minded organizations and it's a real pleasure to be able to, to do this podcast and to, to meet with you guys totally. So it's fantastic. And Viran, thank you, really appreciate that. So Viran, you're the CEO of the Open University world, Worldwide. That's a big title, yeah. <laughs> big, big, big responsibility. Talk to us a little bit about how that is first, and then we'll yeah. go back a little bit in terms of how the, how that's come about. Yeah. So a little bit about the Open University Worldwide in terms of your your role, yeah. and a little bit about the work that you're currently doing. Yeah. So I actually roll, I have two hats. I yeah. have the CEO of OU Worldwide, which is the commercial arm of the Open University. Yeah which is all around the commercial activity that the university undertakes, but also okay. I'm the director of employers and partnerships. So what does that entail? Well, actually, that entails our skills-based agenda. So effectively, anything which is outside our normal undergraduate and postgraduate provision, yes. but which is vocationally based. So our responsibility for a degree in higher apprenticeships, okay. um, higher technical qualifications, HDQs, micro-credential short courses. Yeah. So anything around that skills agenda and meeting that skills gap that, the, that we face as a as a country, but not only as a, on a global basis, is what me and the team get involved okay. with. And yeah, that's quite interesting. So just give us the size of Open University. I mean, you know, if you talk to anybody out there, they've got, you know, you ask them what Open University means, they'll have something to say. Yeah. You know, whether it's about, you know, reskilling or whether it's about, you know, working flexibly or studying flexibly, they'll have some, some element of understanding of Open University because it's a brand that we've all grown up with. Um, but, you know, in terms of the scale of the size of the organization currently, just give us some so idea. So in terms of... The scale and size, we have probably around 180,000 students currently every year. So we are mm. the largest university in Europe mm. and, and definitely in, wow. in, in the UK. In terms of employee size, 3,500 um, permanent staff, but also we have a, a, a tutor force of around 7,000. Wow. So actually we're nearly 11,000 strong employer. 
in terms of um, in terms of the UK. So wow. a really large employer, really focused around offering online education for people who do not normally have access to education normally. So it's about for us, it's about social mobility. It's about giving access to education, higher education, to individuals that are using it for their their careers or actually wanting to advance themselves or actually thinking, I've got some time, I want to do a degree or a qualification of some sorts join the Open University. You know, I was sharing with you uh, prior to the recording that, you know, my manager, my first manager, Mrs. Mangat, I call her, she actually qualified as a social worker doing an Open University course. And there's many examples where, you know, people were, who couldn't really study full-time, didn't have either the opportunity, the finance, or whatever the reason was. Ambitious people had a lot to give, wanted to sort of uh, upskill themselves, and open university was a route for them. They're either full time studying somewhere else, or working in the you know parents' business, or family business, or or working in factories and various other work. And really, that's been the platform, the the foundation for them to to re- really reskill, upskill, and and change profession, change tax. And yeah. that's how I know open university. Yeah, and absolutely. And we have lots of case studies of similar individuals have have been studying, working in a factory you know, full-time, but actually studying part-time to be able to develop their career and move into something a bit different. We have relationships, for example, with Uber. Um, Uber's a great example of, you know, what the power of the OU. Their general drivers are first-generation, second-generation immigrants. They come to the UK and all they can do is driving, but they have a qualification which is very relevant back home, but it's not recognised in the UK. So what Uber are doing is saying, well, actually, as part of our process to retain you and to develop you, we're going to give you the access to education. And they do that via the OU. They allow them or their families, someone in their family, to actually study at the OU free of charge. So we've got loads of case studies around individuals who are developing and reskilling and doing this as part of our day jobs. So in terms of the split, I mean, you've Open University, UK-based organisation, it's got its foundations here, and you know we all love it and aware of it. But in terms of the the, the worldwide, the global ambition, where does that come from, and how does that, how does that work? I mean, it's very similar to, I suppose, you, you, you know, you're probably aware of the relationship we have with the BBC. Yeah. BBC have a worldwide arm, which is yeah. a commercial arm. So yeah. we've adopted that philosophy or that process yeah. as OU Worldwide or Open University Worldwide. And that is really for a number of reasons. One is to put our commercial activity in one place yeah. so that we're ring-fencing and protecting it from, protecting the university from any issues or challenges we face around that. But also, it's for about, you know, as you mentioned, international reach. So we mm. use that vehicle or that company to reach our inter- international audience. So we have partnerships internationally with, with organizations to help them deliver higher education in their country. So we have a, a long-standing relationship, for example, with the Arab Open University, over mm. 25 years old. Mm. Now in 10 Middle Eastern countries, of which we have around 50,000 students currently, and 50% of them are women. And you can imagine in the Middle East, women in education can be quite challenging. Yes. So we've been able to enable that. Yeah. And that's what OU-wide allows us to do not only internationally but actually similar principles apply for for us in the uk Mm -hmm. so working with other types of partners that are non sort of state-run or private sector that want to provide education as a way of being able to deliver value and to the to the learners i mean just sharing something with you back in the 70s and 80s open university had obviously their tv programs on bbc2 and yeah, I think it was 11 o'clock at night. They used to sort of switch, yeah, those, yeah. switch those on. So, you know, so, you know, we remember it from those days. And obviously, you know, course material and on-learning and on-demand learning and all those sort of things have, have changed massively 
where I think there was one time where you may have been posting video yeah, uh, right. video cassettes Absolutely. to to individuals and the whole dynamic of learning and and you know how people expect you know the whole field of learning and development has changed as well. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. Uh, and I want to talk and have a conversation really about you you as a person mm-hmm. because we want to get to know Virun Patel, the the, one, the 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 individual that is now a thought leader within the. The social mobility agenda, the uh, the diversity agenda. You know, you're a leader within the uh, within the educational skills, higher education sector. But you know, we all have a journey that we've been on, and, and the ups and downs of that, which makes us as, as individuals, which which is part of what we are. So, if you're okay, let's talk a little bit about in terms of the early days, Viran. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I, you know, I've got some notes here. We've had conversations here, but you know, in terms of our audience. Take us back to you know the start of that journey, sure. particularly sure. early days in, in in terms of your ed- early education and and, mm. and so forth. Yeah, happy to. Um, so yeah. I came to the to the UK in the seventies as a refugee. So we were we were booted out of Uganda, East <laughs> yeah. Africa, yeah. by uh, a chap called Idi Amin. <laughs> yes. um, we came to the UK yeah. with very little in our pockets. So yeah. we were pretty much starting our life fresh, yeah. and we were based up in Yorkshire in Harrogate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we started life fresh from there. I came along when I was quite young, and I really didn't have a formal education until the age of seven. And the reason for that is because I was being shifted between my grandparents, my two different grandparents, because my parents had to find work to sustain ourselves. So as a family, we were all trying to, my parents were all, and, and his, his, his siblings and his, my uncles were trying to build the family back up again. So they went out to work and we were shifted between different families to get to, to you know, until we formally settled in, in Luton early around the age of seven. And that's when I started formally my, my education journey. It's been interesting. Growing up as an immigrant or a refugee in the 70s and 80s in Britain was quite challenging. Quite tough. As you can imagine, being from those minority uh, groups, school was quite challenging as well. Mm. So I remember the mm. days running the gauntlet home when, you know, You've got a bunch of skinners waiting for you at the, the school gate yeah. and they're going to chase you home and you have to run, right? Otherwise, you sit there and, you know, get, a, get a bit could, of a kicking, kick right? Yeah. Um, but that was a daily life for us in those mm. days. But, you know, you persevere and education wasn't part of the family ethos at the time. It was all about trying to make sure that we had enough money, enough food on the table. It was about so surviving, really. It was, it was, more, it was really more, about survival, yeah. I'll be yeah. honest with you. So it was only up to myself and my brother, actually, to decide actually what we wanted to do. So when yeah. I, we did our, it was those days, O-levels, GCSE O-levels yeah. in those days, I did all right. I got a few. I then went to sixth form, did them again, got some A-levels, and it was me pushing that education journey. It wasn't parents giving us advice. And to be honest, there was very little advice in those days for an individual of my type. So it was inner, inner ambition in terms yeah. of, you don't want to grow and... Yeah, you know, and you thought, you know, I want to go to, to university. I went to a polytechnic, so I didn't even go to university. I went to a polytechnic in central London. But that was me driving. That was my, you know, my brother saying, well, actually, we should be doing this. We will do this. And I was the first yeah. in the family to get a degree. So Massive you know, achievement. And very similar to some of our current students that uh, study at the OU. You know, it's a big, some of these are, people are the first people to get degrees in their family. That's right. So it's a big achievement. So you have those challenges and yeah. you have those type of issues. Um, but you drive to it. And I got a, I got a degree at it and um, a degree at the end of the day, a fairly good one. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a job. Even having said that, there were challenges with getting a job. Right? Difficulties, isn't it? In Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Difficulties for sure. I mean, you know, I'll give you a great example of, of a challenge that we had where you're applying for, for jobs, you're putting your name on the CV and not getting any interviews. Yeah, just... just. And I thought, let's change the name. I changed it to Martin Twinker. Mm. 
what happened? Interviews started flowing yeah. through. It shows the level of kind of challenge or discrimination that we were facing mm. in that time. But we overcome it. And mm. I was lucky to have an organization, the Daily Mail, that, um, that allowed me to join them after mm. graduating. Mm -hmm. um, saw the value in, in what I was doing because I had a placement year with them as well. Yeah. Saw the value of what I do and invested in me as an individual, regardless of my background, regardless of uh, you know, education standards. Mm. And actually, they, that's where I started my career in accountancy. Mm. They paid for my accountancy qualification or my journey. So I was working full-time, studying part-time, very similar to very the similar OU to, and yeah. what we do. So yeah, I've kind of come back full circle in my career and come back to an organization that does this for a living. But actually, I was doing that. So I was part of that journey. So I can understand every student that joins the OU or every student that's working full-time and studying part-time, the real challenges they're facing because it's hard work. Mm -hmm. You have to be a different, a certain type of individual mm -hmm. to be able to do that and motivate yourself to do that. In terms of your parents, uh, you know, what, you know, you, you, it was about surviving and so forth. I mean, what was their job uh, here? I mean, what, what sort of careers so my, did they, you know, My dad worked at Vauxhall Motors in Luton, so okay. he was a machine setter. Okay. Um, highly skilled job, but it was a machine setter. My my mum worked in a factory, making pla I think she joined making plastics, and okay. towards the end she was making sandwiches for Marks and Spencers. So um, okay. very, you know, working class, okay. I guess. And, and your brother, you mentioned him. The yeah, my brother. Yeah. Brother's yeah. now in the US. He's now yeah, he's, um, okay. part of a fintech okay. organization. Going to the whole technology sector. And Doing so very, very well. And in terms of, you know, that, that period, the 70s period and 80s period, which which really made us all. I mean, I mean I'm very similar in that background. I mean, there's a lot of similarities uh, between yourself and myself in terms of particularly... Uh, growing up and education and, you know, the drivers of getting into education because we, you know, I went to a polytechnic as well, at the, at the Birmingham Polytechnic. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities there and yeah. uh, in some aspects of it because that education, the, the first rung of education was our, our way of getting up on that career ladder and, and financially being able to better ourselves and our ambition was to really improve and, and it wasn't yeah. about becoming a CEO or getting these titles, but it's about actually just you know, getting, being better and being the best version of, of ourselves and being on that journey. And in terms of, you know, you talk about having to change your name and, you know, getting rejection after rejection and the frustration that it is because it's not easy. That it, and it's the same here now as well. It's, 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 there's some things which have changed and some things which, you know, which have massively improved and we're having conversations that are a bit more open now. But there's still people who face the same same obstacles, Absolutely. the same challenges. When you're talking to, you know, people out there, I mean, how much of that are you, are you, are you still finding that there's some similarities that are, are there? Yeah, I mean... You know, unconscious bias is always going to be there. And that's, that's you know, I have unconscious bias, you have unconscious bias, and people will have unconscious bias. I think that will always be there. But how do you overcome yeah. that? My advice and when I talk to people is about, well, actually, when you're talking to individuals or you're hiring individuals, don't look at their background, don't look at their education, don't look at their experience. Hire an attitude. It's attitude you can't buy. Attitude in, in terms of willingness to work, willingness to learn, have a bit of ambition to, to grow and develop. Those things you can't buy. You can pay for this. You can get them the skills. You can get them the learning. You can get them the training. That can be done. But you can't buy the attitude. And if you hire an attitude, you will then develop a team which is stronger than you ever have before because you haven't had that unconscious bias of, I'm taking somebody from a Russell Group University or who's come from Oxford or Cambridge or has got great A-levels. Well, actually, you're missing some real talent by not being able to see through, past that and through that. Yeah. And having, you know, and we as managers or leaders, there is a danger that we we hire in our own image. Yeah. So a mirror image of me. So 
I hire that person because they they like me. They like, yeah. They're very similar to me. They look like me. They talk like me. They actually have the same kind of views. Well, actually, that's not good for an organisation. That's mm. not good for you as a leader. Mm. It's actually what you need is diverse views. You want people to challenge you. Mm. So having different types of individuals, a diverse background from diverse backgrounds, actually help, helps the organisation, but also helps you as a as a manager or a leader. Okay. So you know when we're talking about skill or uh, a will over skill, and we're talking about behaviours as opposed to knowledge and skills generally. How, how do you how does that come across how do you see that i mean you know if somebody's sending a cv across you know obviously we're looking at education we're talking about that how do you how does somebody shine and say you know what i'm hungry for this i've I, i've got the attitude and so forth mm. you, know, how, you know how does that work we have to we have to change our recruitment yeah. techniques right because i mean i was at santander yesterday talking yeah. to to their university and you know how their early years career mm. thing and there'll always be some kind of filter but what I'm saying is actually that that filter shouldn't be there. What you should be looking at is how that individual writes their CV without any kind of with anonymity, I guess. Mm. Ask ask some questions. Ask think about how they respond to those questions, mm. and that could be in a written form or actually it could be in a video form. So change the way we recruit, rather than CV based and around you know here's our filter. They need three A levels. They need mm. to be from this university. Let's flip it around. And say actually, let's make it open ended. Ask them to answer a few questions that you think are challenging that will reflect what you want. See what response is. Get to know the person. Get to know the person. Yeah. Do video video interviews. Do you know? Do interviews that, that allow that individual to record what they're thinking, their background. Take it from there. Supplement that with your CV. We'll, we'll touch up on some of those things. But in terms of your own profession, I mean, you're a qualified accountant. Mm-hmm. You know, you've changed profession a couple of times. You've had different roles. You've talked about the opportunity that Daily Mail gave you in terms of the first opportunity, first rung of a ladder. And, you know, our fathers and, and parents that they used, to, used to say, you know, they had life, lifelong careers. And, and, I, and I think... Uh, looking at you, Steve, I was trying to count off how many how many that jobs you've had then. and uh, how many roles you've had. And um, there's a lot of diversity here in terms yeah. of different roles and different different job titles and yeah. and different sectors and so yeah, forth. So, how has that worked for you? How's that panned out? Um, that's really it's an interesting observation, an interesting comment actually, because I think you know for me the skills that you build yeah. drive you through your career. Yeah. So I became an accountant, and I thought, well, accountancy was for me, and yeah. I joined a business, and I yeah. joined. Sort of his Daily Mail, and then I moved into um, retail, Freeman's Mail Order, and yeah. then I moved into data, yeah. the Reuters business. Yeah. Different industries, but actually the skills were transferable. Mm. So building skills that are transferable is important. So that was my first early early part of my career. And then moved into sort of the more commercial world, so moving out of finance and going, well, actually, I'm fed up with month-end, year-end audits, mm. that kind of stuff. It wasn't really me, and I was more entrepreneurial. And obviously, from our background, we are quite entrepreneurial as a kind of a community. Or yeah. a, um, so therefore... I moved into sort of the bids and tenders into telecoms. Mm. Another totally different Absolutely industry. completely different. But actually the skills I had built from my finance days mm. helped with that. So having that commercial view, having that financial background, they were transferable. And then, you know, moving from then into education, that was more by accident. That was yeah. more by an opportunity landed on my, on my desk to say, well, actually, do you want to work at a commercial private entity called BBP teaching accountants? And being an accountant, I was like, well, why, why can't I? Um, I used to, I used to, I know of BPP. I yeah. used to go to their, their competitor when okay. I trained. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm giving back something good. Go and work in, in, in that education mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. That was my first foray into education. Mm-hmm. But those skills were transferable. Mm-hmm. So my advice to any young person or anyone who's moving careers, try and build transferable skills. Industry knowledge is, is important, but actually the skills are more important in terms of being transferable. Having a good financial background, having good leadership skills, 
being able to, to understand and critically analyze problems, being able to show that you can add value regardless of what industry you're in. You know, those things are really important. If you can build those, um, it will always help you. But industry, you know, for me, is kind of irrelevant. However, once you're in those jobs, you've got to build those skills. So you need to have industry relevant experience. And therefore, having a good mentor, having a good um, access to some kind of education that will help you build your knowledge in that industry, in that mm. field, is really, really important. Okay. So how do you develop that? Okay. In terms of some of the responsibilities you've got, I mean, you know, outside Open University, you know, you've, uh, you know, you've been involved with the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry. Mm. You've been involved with many different things. You know, you know you're a judge of, of, of some awards. Talk to us a little bit about some of those responsibilities you have yeah. and how does that fit into you as an individual and you know you're giving back and contributing and so you have my i have my day job and then yeah. all these other jobs <laughs> that you, should, that you do on the side yeah being a member of the cbi council is one of them you know now part of the british chambers of commerce council yeah. as well yeah being part of mk business awards and then being a judge on those they're all extracurricular activities in, yeah. my, in my life but yeah. actually for me they're enhancing me as an individual and my career and yeah. what i want to do and yeah. actually it's time to give back in essence. Yeah. So if I can give back something back to the community, to business, then I will try within within my means. And it also helps me in developing a new set of people that I can work with mm. and network with and mm. gain experience from. So it's not just about me giving back, but actually me learning. Because everything, every day is a school day, right? Yeah. You're absolutely. learning all the time. Yeah. So if I can learn from my CBI colleagues, I've learned from my British Chambers of Commerce colleagues, if I can learn from all the businesses I work with with MK in, in Milton Keynes, that's really valuable. Mm. And actually that can only add value to me and give me ideas to say, well, actually, maybe I should be doing something a bit mm. differently, um, as well as trying to support them and help them on whatever challenges they're facing. Okay. okay. I mean, you touched on, you know, you, you settled in, in Yorkshire, Harrogate, and, you know, then you, you know, you've had the, the, the Luton, Bedfordshire sort of settlement in terms of grown up, you've grown up there and schooling and everything else. And, but now it seems like Milton Keynes has sort of adopted you and you've sort of, you know, you're, part of the Milton Keynes community and, and it's it's very part of who you are and and the whole sort of open university and, and you as a as an individual as a leader, you know, you, this is the community that you feel that you belong to in terms of the business community and Yeah. And so in terms forth. of the business community, absolutely. I think, you know, I still have that home with Luton and yeah. Luton's always going to be, yeah. you know, where the family resides and where yeah. we are. And so yeah. we have yeah. connections across Luton as well. But in terms of the business, business community, community in, yeah. in, in MK, yeah. absolutely. You know, because we are one of the largest employers, the Open University is one of the largest employers in MK, we have a duty, yeah. I guess. I feel that we have a duty of care to give back to that local community and yeah. being involved in these groups not only benefits the OU, but also benefits the local community and actually adds value to what we're doing as an organization. And um, Milton Keynes have changed massively. You know, you know, it's huge. You know, when you talk about Milton Keynes to people, they've got their own views. That, you know, very, roundabouts. Yeah, and roundabouts and, and you know, the cows, medicalization yeah. element of it and so forth. And then it's become a, a city. You know, how's that transition been? I mean, you've, you know, you've been here a, a little while in terms of you know, being settled in Milton Keynes. You've seen that journey evolve you've seen the community business community you've seen the local community how's that journey for for the for the area it's been quite exciting actually yeah. Seth. i think since i've been here since the last eight or nine years that i've actually worked in milton Keynes, i've seen the city go from strength to strength i'm not sure if you know this but in terms of startups yeah we are probably third on the list behind oxford birmingham in terms of new startups and yeah. new entrepreneur and entrepreneurial tech startups actually yeah. so Milton Keynes as a city is developing and evolving, and it's all around that tech. It's a yeah. smart city. It's one of the, the only smart cities in, in, in the UK. And that attracts organizations, individuals, businesses to Milton Keynes. And it's evolving. It's become now a slightly more rich cultural experience. 
some people still think it's a bit artificial, but it's slowly changing from its grid system, which is created, yeah. which is taken from the, from the yeah. US, through its tech startup and smart city approach to actually being a bit more about mm. families and that more cohesive town or city feel. And it's slowly developing that. I'm not saying it's, it's doing, it hasn't done, it's been doing this as an evolution, really. And it's becoming a lot more, I suppose, family friendly. I mean, Open University, OU is a massive employer locally. It's, you know, it's a key part of that business community. You know, we were talking earlier on about potentially, you know, having a local uh, city centre campus. Mm-hmm. I, I take it Milton Keynes is, you know, it's, the, you know Open University is, is the yeah. base. It's, it's not going anywhere and it is the future. Oh, from, yeah, this yeah, is part of the mix. And you, you put Milton Keynes on the map globally as well because people, you know, when they see that OU is based here, I mean, people, you know, and so I think that perception of Milton Keynes which we have, I think, in the UK, probably we don't, you know, people outside don't think of it in the same way. Yeah. And I think it's probably on the map. So, you know, I think uh, I think hats off to Open University in terms of investing in in this local economy and, and really promoting and pushing things, you know, for the right reason. So I'll mention that. I think it's an important thing for yeah. particularly large employers and, and employers who are part of the local economy to actually think about these sort of matters and uh, and so forth. So thank thank you for that. Well, I mentioned that as, as something that I I was I was researching on. But if we go back a little bit in terms of the two hats that you're wearing, you know, you've got the worldwide uh, aspect of it, and then you've got your strategic partnerships and mm-hmm. the collaborations, and you know, you mentioned the partnership with Uber and all of those sort of things. How do you juggle the, the two? <laughs> yeah, how does how, 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 alongside all the other opportunities? I mean, luckily, um, the, the you know, it's kind of synonymous with each other so the, yeah. the, the two interconnect so yeah. OU Worldwide has partnerships within it which are yeah. international of nature so actually yeah. the two marry quite well um, so it's not two jobs really it's kind of two areas of responsibility okay. that actually merge together yeah. and effectively I think of my role as a portfolio role is I have different elements of aspects of the OU which are outside our yeah. traditional student yeah. base that I look at I'm responsible yeah. for yeah. so it's a portfolio based business I guess yeah which has an OU-wide element of it, yeah. OU-worldwide element, and an OU element of it, which is partnerships and, and employers-driven. Okay. So. One of the things that I want to touch on is, you know, in terms of large organisations, uh, there's a lot of heritage there, there's a lot of legacy there, uh, which is positive, but there's also an element of transitioning and understanding global issues, understanding diversification of income, looking at, you know, how does an organisation like Open University survive for the next, say, 400 years or 500 mm. years or whatever the case is, and just like the BBC, you know, you have you have these conversations internally, and you think, you know, okay, you know what? Yes, we've got a legacy here. Yes, we've got done all this work, but how do we keep relevant? How do we yeah. stay uh, stay afloat? And how do we actually not just about survive, but how do we thrive in that world? Yeah. So, what are what are those conversations that you know you you've had and you've, you're you're having within the organisation? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's quite a timely uh, question, Sad, yeah. because we're talking about that now. You know, you think about the online space, education space, it's becoming more and more competitive. Yeah. We have other organisations, other universities joining that online yeah. journey. And with the result of chat GDP, GDP and generative AI, yeah. that's going to become even more challenging. So yeah. we're now thinking about actually, we've been here for 50 years and we've developed and moved from being on BBC at 11 o'clock, as you mentioned, yeah, yeah. in the evening, through to online and having a slightly different approach. Well, actually, we're now looking at, well, actually, what should we, where should we be going? Yeah. And think about government policy currently it's not focused on age, age higher education it's focused on the fe sector yeah. skills so we're moving into that more and more uh, we have a con- we made a conscious 
move towards vocational qualifications. With apprenticeships, with HDQs, with short courses and micro-credentials, we're moving towards that skills landscape. Mm. So we see that as a definite path we need to follow. It's going to be part complementary to what we normally do as a traditional Mm. university in Mm. online education, but definitely focusing on the skills agenda um, because government policy, regardless of what side of what colour you are in terms of your your political um, following, there there are very similar traits between all the political parties around skills development and challenges. It's what, it's what employers want as well, isn't it? They exactly. want employers want people with skills ready made, exactly, and you know, that could fit into their organisations that exactly. can add value. Exactly. And in some cases, you know, it's, it might be short courses, learn as you as you go along, and in other cases, it might be part of the apprenticeship program so it it is skills boot camps boot camps as as you said yeah so it it is you know what is the talk of the day and what the future is and uh, so I I can understand that in terms of some of the strategic alliances and the partnerships you know you mentioned uh, the Middle East and you know know, the the partnerships you've got there so potentially you've got partnerships with organisations that may be seen as competitors in some some elements of it. So talk a little bit about some of the these sort of partnerships yeah. with maybe not just the Arab states, but yeah. maybe some of the other organizations yeah. that you have. And that's an interesting point. Those partners could be competitors, but actually, yeah. you know, what I don't see them as competitors. I see them as complementary to mm-hmm. what the OU. The OU's mission is about being open to methods, places, yeah. ideas. So actually what our job is to enable. So we work with all these organisations to enable higher education for those yeah. individuals. And yeah, there may be some crossover, there may be some grey areas where we're competing at the same time as them. But actually, for me, it makes no difference. The fact that we are reaching a wider audience and about extending our reach and getting our name and our values and our principles out there through, whether it's directly or through partners, that's really important. Um, so I don't see them as competitors. I see them as sort of complementary or, or we're enabling them to do things. We work with, what, 60 or 70 FE colleges in the country. We're enabling them to provide higher education. Now, you'd be saying, well, they're eating your pie, right? They're, gonna, yeah. they're, they're in your backyard and you're going yeah, yeah. to facilitating competition. Well, yeah. actually, my view is about, well, actually, we're promoting diversity. We're extending our reach and actually by enabling them, they're hitting a different market mm. or different demography than okay. we are. Our, we know our student is, you know, between, you know, on average 25 to 35, you know, 40-ish. That's our, our, core, our, core, our, our yeah, core demographic. Yeah. FE colleges are going for the 16 to 18-year-olds. You know, Arab Open University are going for the international market, which actually we would probably not able to reach in the way they have reached it mm. without working with them. Mm-hmm. So alliances, partnerships are really important because you can go it alone, but you might not be as successful as you could do if you went and partnered with somebody. Mm. And sometimes these partnerships are easy to talk about and quite hard sometimes to make it work. And and, mm. and often the longer term uh, aspirations you have. And you know, how, how, how do you ensure partnerships are successful where the win-win is there? Because people are sometimes reluctant to to divulge and, and, and share you know, their thoughts and so forth. And, and it takes a little while to develop these relationships. And, and obviously you've been doing this for a little while and it's one of those transferable skills that you've, you know, yeah. you've brought to the table. But how does that work? You know, you've yeah. got to buy into the people, people buy from people, but it's also then, you know, the organisations, the culture, what each party wants. You know, there's a lot of different variables and yeah, yeah. aspects to it. I mean, the first thing is actually finding organisations that are like-minded, yeah. that share your vision, share the mission yeah. of what you're doing. So. Yeah. All the organisations we work with have a common thread mm. that is around social mobility, around uh, mm. increasing access to higher education. Mm. They have that thread. That's the starting point. And that everything has to drive back to that thread. What are we doing it for? 
And yes, you have to make a win-win for everyone. So yeah. you know, we can't give away anything for free all the time. Some cases we will do. We have to wash our face and make a bit of margin. But ultimately, you know, and that's you. And this is a commercial guy saying we will make as much margin <laughs> as we want to. But actually, in some cases, we won't make margin yeah. because we're doing it for a strategic purpose and actually extending our reach. Yeah. Because they're a like-minded organisation that want to do exactly the same thing as we do, and that for me is valuable. Yeah. So. If you'd asked me 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, we don't want to talk to those organizations because it's not going to give us any money. But actually, as you know, you've, I've developed into what the OU is about and the nuggets of that is actually around social mobility and access to higher education. You, you defer back to that. That makes us a successful partnership. So with the Arab University, it is about that. They're actually giving access to education to, to women that in the Middle East that would normally have it. And yes, we've had some real challenges with the Arab University over the last 25 years, but they haven't been insurmountable. They haven't digressed the purpose, which is that social mobility piece mm-hmm. and access to education. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in terms of the landscape of education, you talk, you know, you, you've got your further education, you've got your higher education, and everybody's sort of playing in each, in each other's pond to a certain level in each of this area. The further education colleges are thinking, okay, you know, the the higher education institutions, if they're the organisations who've got the money, they've you know they've got their thing. They they're seeing the transition, mm-hmm. and they're seeing you as as not potentially collaborators, but people who are sort of looking to eat into their into yeah. the, into their market. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what would you say to somebody who's a further education professional who looks at Open University and sees the heritage and the background and thinking, you know, what are they doubling in our area? What would you say to somebody from that? I'd say to them the OU is different and yeah. unique. We're not seen as a competitor yeah. to FE sector, and we're yeah. not seen as other H- other mm. HEIs, other higher education institutions. We're seen as a collaborator and an enabler. And for the you know, I would say to that individual, that look, come and talk to us. Yeah. Understand our mission. Understand mm. what we're trying to do, and understand how open we are. We're here to enable you to do better. Um, and that is our mission. And okay. therefore, you know, come and talk to us. We will happily take you on that journey. And we'll take you on that journey to where you need to be at the relevant point that you need to be with the flexibility you need. One thing that the OU does very well is have flexible models and approaches to, to working with FE sector okay. colleagues. And that's the important piece. Thank you to Viran for his insight and knowledge. The second part of this conversation with Safraz will be available on Thursday, the 12th of October. If you don't want to miss out on any further Canny Conversations podcasts, then why not subscribe or follow us? There are already 62 Canny Conversation podcast episodes out there, and you can listen back to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform, or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. It would be really helpful if you could review the podcast and tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to Canny Conversations podcast co.uk or go to Safraz's website safraz.co.uk Safraz has also written a series of easy to follow business books Canny Bites these are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash by the book next week will be the second half of Safraz's conversation with Viran Patel from the Open University so until then have a good week This is a 1386 audio production.